HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, yuzakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is uh, Marco Morea, who is the owner of One Five Hospitality, which owns the award-winning sushi restaurant, 15 East, near Union Square, and four other great barn restaurants, including Tocqueville. So, hello, Marco. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, um, so you were born in Sao Sa- Paulo, Brazil, right. and came to New York in 1982. Right. And became a sushi chef when non-Japanese sushi chef was almost unthinkable, according to the Japanese tradition. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so first, uh, why did you come to New York? I came as a visit. It was an extended visit to stay and in, 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 uh, study English. And But my passion was always in food and hospitality. Mm. And um, interestingly, the way the opportunity came to me, I sat next to someone in a, in a subway and uh, train and... I told this person my plans for the future. I'm going to open a restaurant. I'm <laughs> going to be a chef. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he was listening to me for 20 minutes. And then before we got off the train, he gave me a business card. And he said, I can guarantee you I can open a restaurant for you, but maybe I can get you started. So come come to visit me. Oh, wow. It, it took me a few months to call him, but... Uh, you know, that's the <laughs> <laughs> I should get a subway every day and then try to find someone. Um, so, uh, but you know, you said that you're always into food. Yes, and very much so. Yes. When uh, you grew up. Yeah. So, um, São Paulo is sixty percent Italian, mm. but we have, um, if you think of um, um, 
melting pot, uh, the way you describe New York, I think Sao Paulo maybe even more so. Mm. We have uh, Lebanese and Syrian immigrants, we have uh, a very large Japanese population, mm. and you have uh, Turks, and you have Arabics, and um, Chinese, and mm. Koreans. So um happens that uh, my, mar- uh, my, my father... Uh, actually married a Japanese woman. So, oh, wow. So I was very fami- familiar with the culture, uh, growing up with uh, her and her, you know, being associated with her family. And so um, probably I was the only Brazilian-Italian kid eating natto for breakfast and, <laughs> and, uh, and eating raw egg and raw fish for breakfast. But, wow. uh, you know, I, I had a pretty good... Uh, you know, good exposure for Japanese culture. Mm, okay. And now uh, let's go back to that magical gentleman who mm-hmm. gave you a business card. Yeah. So who was it? Well, my friend Don, he, he didn't stay very long. Uh, there was a, a takeover in the restaurant. It was just a little American restaurant. And uh, one day I came to work and uh, eight, 90% of the people were fired and it had become a Japanese restaurant overnight. Wow. So I befriended the uh, owner and sushi chef, and uh, they, they kept me on. And uh, eventually, uh, that's how this came about. He said, you love sushi so much, um, I'll, weave, I'll train you to be a sushi chef. Oh, wow. And in my mind, it was just like, really? Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, um, I, I, I said, why not? Let's, let's give it a shot. I was also, at the same time, I was uh, taking uh, cooking classes at uh, the new school and you know, mm-hmm. I was very interested in cooking and cooking at home right. so uh, just very interested oh, like I can't think of myself as not being interested in, in cooking I used to go out to restaurants as 14 year old by myself and, and just have like a, a full tasting menu by myself Wow! so you were in the right time at the, at the right time right, right place and was a restaurant Japanese restaurant in Manhattan yes okay Right, and you know, you know, it was just the, just the beginning of the uh, when uh, sushi was be, be, like kind of became very trendy at the time. There were only very few um, Japanese restaurants, maybe even a dozen of the old school Japanese restaurants mm. at that time, if if that many even. Right, and and the sushi industry is not, uh, notoriously conservative, and an apprentice can spend three to five years before you touch sushi uh, fish. So how sometimes d- even more, right? Yeah, and how does did the sous chef train you? Not by you know, not by asking questions like American way, or well, that's that's very true. The way that they uh, that um, you had ex- you, you trained is um, they they use the expressions. You have to steal everything, which means that you need to observe and copy and mimic and pretend that you know what you're doing until you do it. And they usually don't give you like all the tips off uh, right off the beginning. You sort of have to manage on your own and, and try to. You get criticized a lot, and uh, you know they 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 they're not gonna make it easy for you. You have to earn it uh, basically by the way of hard knocks, mm-hmm. just just by trying. Right. So, what is the biggest challenge in learning how to make sushi, and culturally or technically? Well, culturally for me, I was very lucky that the my friend, um, my my sushi sensei, who became a good friend of mine, he really 
took me under his wing and um, he was actually he 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 was a little bit different he actually wanted to help me and I, he didn't make me slave uh, <laughs> just riding you know washing uh, rice forever like he wanted to speed up the process for me so um, you know I was very involved with uh, the prepping and then you know the the, the, the prepping of the um, the fish the rice but uh, back then um, we we were not so sophisticated with the variety of types of fish that we have now now it's it's we have uh, dozens of white fish and and silver fish and back then you you had like uh you know your basics you have a yellowtail you have tuna you have uh you know we used to have crab sticks you know and um you know with except with the exception of maybe one or two places you you, you that you could get uh, live fish um the variety of the menu was very small, very, mm. very, very basic. Right. So it's uh, in the first place, the ingredients are very hard to to obtain, and then, but do you have any cultural issues? Cultural? Well, the the customers, the Japanese customers, thought it was uh, hilarious that uh, this Brazilian Italian <laughs> guy was making sushi, and um, you know uh, the the. You know, it was it was kind of a little bit of a joke, but mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, I loved it. And um, I worked with this my my friend for a few years. I helped him open a couple of restaurants in Chicago and and uh, one in the East Village. And so, depending where I was working, I was welcomed mm-hmm. um, differently. I think. Uh, I'm curious like the, who, who that person is. Uh, Morifuji, yeah, I, I don't have contact with him anymore because mm-hmm. he went back to Japan to open okay. restaurants. He, he, his uh, business model was to open a restaurant, get it up and running and successful enough that he could sell it and then open new ones. Mm. So uh, from New York, he went to, to Chicago and then, and then he went to, uh, to, to Japan. Right. And and uh, I was actually invited to go with him to mm-hmm. go to Japan, but I I wasn't working with him anymore. At that time, I was just freelancing sushi, doing my own catering, mm-hmm. and um, I had the opportunity of doing a uh, start the sushi program at Dina Deluca at that time. I was doing some you know consulting right. as well. So you had a. It was 1986. You founded the Marco Polo Sushi Catering. Right. And uh, yeah, but. You know, I mean, before actually, let me just go back because you worked at uh, really famous French restaurants like uh, the Marc, Boulet, and the legendary American restaurant Kilted Trap. So, yes. did you? That was after the fact. That was after the. That was my uh, after my sushi phase. Okay, so you wanted to try something new. I did. Like mm. I wanted to learn more. I felt like I wanted to do more. Um, I was doing a lot of freelancing, and uh, some of the events that I did was. Um, you know, in the Hamptons, and you, know, you have these uh, incredible parties uh, with, with like some of the best caterers, and, and I'm like, wow, the sushi is great, but I wish I could be able to do uh, what they're doing also. So mm. I was very interested in learning other parts of, of uh, you know, cooking, right. which is, you know, part of I guess growing as a as a person as a cook. I guess, mm. you know, if you want to call the seven year itch, you know that that was it. <laughs> Okay, and uh, well, it just seems like. And then you said you heard you at uh, Soho Dian De Luca doing the right. sushi program. So right. at the, seem- the flagship store when they moved. Mm. 
Right. So it seems like you captured a great timing when sushi became mainstream among New Yorkers. So do you see any difference between your customers back then and now at your restaurant? A thousand percent. It's very, the expectation is completely different. It's, uh, um, like I said, even even to the, I'm going to say, not, not up until maybe even... Um, Five, five to ten years ago, you couldn't get the variety of fish that you get now. Now it's you mm. get different things all the time. We get three deliveries from Japan a week. Uh, back then, you know, some of it was, uh, you know, a, a lot of frozen fish, um, good quality, but all frozen and uh, very limited variety. Mm. Right. So now it's easy because. Uh, there's so many such restaurants and even French restaurants or American restaurants started to take, you know, the same distribution system like America, uh, the Japanese distributors. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And what about customers? Are they more curious or educated compared to? Way, way more sophisticated and, and, and interested in. They, they know everything about. I mean, I think just food in general, it's become. Uh, you know, part of uh, the culture, especially in New York, I think we're so spoiled with so many uh, amazing restaurants. Uh, I think that the uh, expectation and the the level of all uh, the customers' expectation in, in all the restaurants, I think uh, the bar keeps getting uh, r- r- risen up. Mm, okay. And then there's so many different kinds of cuisines. So why do you think sushi became so popular in this country or in New York? Well, sushi, I think it's it's like a, a perfect little bite of food. You know, it's like having a tasty menu, um, you know, every night. But it's, it's not like a 10-course, you know, like in a French restaurant where... You know, that's it's more like for a special occasion. I think it's like it's a perfect meal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a little makase ten or twelve pieces, you're having ten or twelve courses of different fish with different textures and flavors. So it's very interesting. Number one, number two, it's you know it's high in protein with a little bit of the rice. Our our sushi is very traditional, so the rice is not huge. It's not about the rice. The rice is just to complement the raw fish. Mm. So, um, you know, I think it, it's 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 actually a healthy, light cuisine, and uh, you know, it's it's perfect for the winter and the summer. So, uh, for us, we never see it's very steady for us. We never, we don't, we don't, we don't have a, a season that we're busier or 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 slower because it's winter or summer. It's just the perfect. You know, it's it's a little treat. It's a, it's, mm. it's, it's it's wonderful, especially if you become a, a, a like a real sushi geek uh you know there are a few great places in town and you know you create a relationship with the sushi chefs and they know exactly what your favorite things are and so you sit at the sushi bar and and you get transplanted somewhere else and Mm. almost into an oasis and you forget that you're in new york for a couple hours right okay and uh now let's talk about the 15 east um, so in 2000, you opened your first restaurant, which is Tocqueville, a new American restaurant. And American you mo- French. Oh, yeah. you French? American French. Okay, American yeah. French. So it's, it's or new American. <laughs> okay. And uh, you moved it to a larger space on the same street. Correct. Just two doors over. Right. And you converted the original space into 15 East in 2006. So what is 15 East 
And uh, why did you open it? Well, Fifteen East is a, um, I would say, fine dining, informal restaurant with very high quality food. Mm. But it's very fun. So we wanted to do something that would be uh, different from the traditional uh, fine dining Japanese restaurant where you could get very fine quality fish and, and great variety. We wanted to make a place that would be more modern in downtown mm. uh, with, with fun. And, you know, I implemented my, 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 my personal taste and style, playing uh, bossa nova, making the service not so formal. And we didn't want to do a temple of Japanese cooking, mm. sushi or, 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 or even kitchen food for that matter. We wanted to pl- make the place Mm-hmm. Uh, very welcoming and uh, like a downtown place where uh, you know it's chic and elegant, but it's not. It's not. There is not. There is not a lot of formality to it. Although um, you know, in the back of uh, in the back scenes, we, we talk a lot about how to give great service and 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 uh, always trying to give better quality mm-hmm. food as well. That happens behind the scenes, but when you come into the restaurant, you feel that the staff is. Um, like a little bit more relaxed. Right. Yeah, I like the space divided into one, you know, like lively, brightly lit, good sushi restaurant with a lot of energy. And then on the left, there is a nice, chic dining room. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah, that was the idea. Right. So um, so what was the biggest challenge in opening a sushi restaurant in New York City? And is that competition or, you know, getting good, good ingredients or getting great chef? For sure, you know, um, you can find a great space and, you, you, and uh, usually you, you have accessibility to great ingredients. But for sure, you know, uh, finding talent and not just in the Japanese restaurant, but all our restaurants, it's, it's almost a full-time job to always, uh, you know, uh, find the talent and uh, get motivated and focus and, and tr- always trying to get to the next level because if, if you feel like you've achieved so much mm. I think uh, you know either you you swim fast and you keep moving forward and you, and you keep doing well mm. or if you slow down I feel like you're gonna sink so right. you need to like keep trying your best every day mm. okay and uh, well I actually get asked to know this question like do you know a good sushi chef and everybody's looking for a great sushi chef so um, you had a great great chef Masato Shimizu, he's, uh, he's now moved to Thailand with his family. Yes. And, but how did you find him? So um, we, we were uh, talking about 15 East for two or three years and through my through friends mostly and uh, word of mouth, I had met uh, a few chefs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were, you know, we, we had the plan. We were doing, you know, building out Tocqueville. And um, and I had one particular guy who was also an amazing um, Japanese uh, sushi chef and, and kitchen chef also. He does both. But uh, he was thinking of leaving his restaurant uh, in another city. Mm. And he was going back and forth. Uh, he was like my number one guy. And then I had another guy that was working one of the midtown restaurants. And um, he, he wasn't decided about coming to New York. In, in, he wasn't sure he wanted to give up his restaurant. But um, um, we didn't hear from him uh, for a few months. And um, 
one day I got a call on a Sunday and he said, Marco, where are you? I moved to New York and uh, I packed my restaurant in a truck. <laughs> and I'm in New York. Uh, I want to come to see you. And uh, this person became like a personal friend. And, uh, you know, he, he was tentatively going to be our sushi chef. And, um, um, and also he was thinking about, you know, you know, this is my chance to maybe, my, my, my final chance to maybe open my own restaurant and, and prove myself that I can be successful in New York because New York is, is the most challenging, amazing uh, food city in the world. Um, but, I, you know, I, if, if, if I can do this, this, this would be amazing that I, if I could survive in New York and open a successful restaurant and prove myself would be amazing. So... We, we became really good friends, and actually, I, even though he wasn't not uncommitted or committed to staying with us and doing the project, we went to look at spaces together and introduced him to, to uh, real estate brokers, and we talked about different neighborhoods, and we talked a lot about the business, and, and uh, just no expectation, just, just good friends, and you know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen anyways. <laughs> and I was very busy relaunching uh, the, the new Tocqueville. And so um, last minute he, he said, if I, don't f if I don't do this now, I, I think uh, I'll never have the opportunity. So if I fail, I will go back to Japan and start from scratch. But mm. I, I feel like I'm going to try to do this on my own this time. Mm. But um, I have a friend of mine who uh, you should definitely meet. Um, his name is Masato, and uh, I said, "Well, of course I know Masato. I've been uh, to Jubako so many times. Mm. Uh, I know I know his food." Hey, Jubako is another almost legendary yeah. sushi place. Yeah, a few good chefs came through, and uh, he said, uh, "You should at least speak with Masato." And and uh, he had just come back from vacation from mm. Japan. Uh, I think he was there for six months, and uh, and I said. Um, yeah, sure. Why not have him uh, call me, and and uh, let's set up let's set up something. Mm. Well, um, Masato is one of the most uh, uh, exciting, enthusiastic, uh, almost uh, childlike, like such a cute personality. And uh, five minutes later, I got a call from Masato and mm. on my cell phone. And he said, uh, I know you're looking for a sushi chef. I heard everything about you. I want to meet you. I said, sure. Um, you know, do you want to meet next week or when, when do you want to meet? He said, uh, I want to come to see you right now. <laughs> so I said, okay. So <laughs> come over. And, um, and that, that was it. It was like uh, we, 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 we had like a lovely conversation for a couple of hours. Mm. And... and uh, you know, I think at the end of the conversation was more like, uh, "When can I start?" Right. And uh, we 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 really became uh, good friends, uh, almost like little brothers, as my partner would describe, like the little Japanese brother you never had. <laughs> and uh, it it took about f five or six months to to do the uh, rebuild of Fifteen East, and uh, so um, we had a chance to spend a lot of time together. Now working mm. 
more just spending personal time and, and talking mm -hmm. about philosophy of the restaurant and getting to know each other. Right. And, and um, Masato was trained very classically, traditionally in Japan. So yes. that's why you stick with traditional style at the 15 East? Well, that's, that's, that was also my vision as well. Like, we didn't want to do a gimmicky mm. uh, sushi restaurant. Like, when we do, like, our restaurant, uh, our Brazilian restaurant, for instance, I, I did the research to do... Um, you know, I wanted to find out the history where the dishes came because I wanted to make it very authentic Brazilian cuisine, not curated, you know, just a, another ethnic restaurant that's curated for New Yorkers. I wanted to make it very authentic. So mm. with the Japanese restaurant, same thing. And uh, the one thing that I learned from Japanese cuisine is that, you know, the most important thing is the flavors speaking for themselves you need to taste the flavor of the ingredient itself and uh it's not about making it fast you know uh, fancy or, or or complicated there are, you know there's room for those types of restaurants but um that's not what we wanted to do we wanted to do something with uh, a lot of integrity with emphasis on on quality and and the fish and less gimmick Mm, okay. And I heard uh, the new executive chef after uh, Masato is uh, Noriyuki Takashi, who worked at the popular Tsukiji Sushisei restaurant in Japan for 20 years. Exactly. And Sushisei, I like Sushisei. When I go to Ginza or Tsukiji, that's my destination. Yeah, so. he's amazing. He's like a uh, seamless, uh, you know, I, you know, we're very lucky that it was a seamless uh, transition. And, um, you know, our... Uh, team of sushi chefs uh, some of them have been with us from from the beginning and some trained with Masato from before so mm. um, if you um, you know you don't have uh, the cute smile and the charm from Masato at the bar is, is different it's just you know he's not there any longer but uh, you you would know uh, that uh, there was like a change of uh, mm. of uh, leadership because uh, our our team is in, intact our uh, mm. you know uh, team of sushi chefs they're all the same so right. uh, okay so that's great yeah so um, now let's take a quick break here and uh, when we come back we'll talk about how to order sushi properly so please stay with us Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal. 
bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Marco Moreya, who is the owner of One Five Hospitality, which owns the award winning sushi restaurant 15 East and four other places, including New American restaurant Tokville near Union Square.、Um, now, everybody seems familiar with sushi, but I'm not sure how many people know about its history, so can you tell us a brief history of sushi? Well, the, the legend says is that, the, the,、uh, that I heard that I'd learned from my sensei when I first started learning how to make sushi was that、um, the fisherman、um, took,、uh, you know, went fishing and he had a bowl of rice with him and、uh, he was having a little sake and he、um, was fishing. He had the, the bowl of rice there and he put the, the, some of the fish that he picked. Ended up with the、uh, on top of the rice, a bowl of rice, and it was,、uh, you know, the rice ended up being fermented and then it cured the fish. And he went back fishing and he found the thing, he tried it, and that's how he discovered sushi. So that's the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the uh, you know, grandmother's version of、uh, how sushi started. Right. I like that. It cannot、yes. go wrong. It should be really、yeah. tasty. <laughs> I, li- I like that one, my, my favorite. Right. Okay.、Uh, I found some、uh, a little beyond grandmothers.、Uh, so it came through、um, uh, to Japan from Southeast, Southeast Asia and China around the 8th century. And、uh, the original sushi was made by fermenting river fish, such as carp, in rice, and that had natural lactic acid. So it took as long as four years to make sushi in this method. And that was why sushi was only enjoyed by the nobles back then. And only fermented fish was eaten. And the rice,、uh, rice was discarded. As a matter of fact, I had、um, the most interesting, unique sushi that I've ever had was、uh, in Kyoto. And in this case, it was a river fish. And it had been、uh, marinated in sake leaves, which is the waste of the, fer- the fermented rice from the. From making the, the sushi,、mm. and the fish was、uh, buried into the, 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 this、uh, rice waste, which is the sake leaves of the sake,、uh, the rice that's used to make sake,、mm. and then buried underground. And in this particular restaurant,、uh, they had,、uh, you could order that f- dish by, even by vintage, because he made one batch of, of that fish for years. So、mm. from the first year that he opened, Used to make so、um, when my host ordered that for me,、uh, the entire sushi bar froze to watch my expression like eating, <laughs> eating this vintage for you know eight, six, eight, eight year old、uh, fish, and、uh, you know, no, no one could、uh, believe that I was actually, you know, I looked like a CEO, just throw me more fish in my mouth, like I love <laughs> it, like keep going. Because、mm, yes. uh, succulents are full of enzymes, so it must be really like umami increased and、yes. all the protein broken down into something tasty. Yes. So if I, if I, if I had to describe the taste of that fish, it was a, a, a river fish that was、uh, marinated for a few years, maybe four, five, six years.、Mm. I don't remember exactly. And um, so um, 
probably because of the enzymes and, and the, the fermentation, he almost tasted, um, if, you, if you could imagine, a delicate um, uh, combination of, uh, of uh, wild hair. Have you ever had uh, rabbit, wild hair? Mm-hmm. So it was. It tasted like wild hair, mm. melt with like Roquefort cheese on top. That's oh how it God. tasted like. Sounds very so, meaty. <laughs> but you know, yeah, very meaty. Yes, <laughs> not not like seafood ish at all. It was very, very, very unique uh, mm. flavor. But um, you know, Roquefort's a very strong cheese, and and uh, wild hair meat is also very strong. But this was like, it had those nuances, but it wasn't. Like very strong flavor, but mm. but very very interesting. Right, I'm yeah. curious what you paired with sake or. I think we're we're doing sake, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, must be strong sake. Huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah, we had a lot of a lot of sake that night. <laughs> <laughs> that worked out. <laughs> yes. Okay, and uh, another thing I found so around uh, in 17th century during the Edo period, Edo means Tokyo, um, vinegar started to be used for fermentation. And so instead of natural lactic acid in rice, um, it makes it quicker. So sushi became more widely available. And uh, Edo people were known for uh, impatient, like New Yorkers. And just because uh, nigiri, you know, the tiny bowl of rice topped with a piece of fish, uh, rather than pressed or rolled, so it's easy and you you don't have to wait to eat it. So um, it's this nigiri style sushi became popular in Edo period. Right, and in fact, isn't it true that um, it was um, sort of a uh, fast food way of uh, eating, like right. snacks? Yeah, there's, there's like, like a stands and people, yeah. yeah, they don't sit down and sleep. I don't think that sushi became like such a fine dining uh, experience until maybe, uh, I'm going to guess, uh, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Is it true? Mm, I don't know exactly when, but I think you're so right that it's made into fine dining because of this dining out culture. It was a fast food. Yes. Right. Actually, we we have uh, in Brazil still. It's uh, considered fast food. Uh, you can have like good. Uh, there are like amazing sushi restaurants as well. But um, the like uh, fast food places that makes like big rolls of, of of sushi, like that you can order like fast food. That's very popular down there. Mm. Okay. In São Paulo. Right. Um, you know, Aguma Temakeria in New York. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's by. Uh, you know, it's um, it was supposed to be. I think the original idea kind of probably came from Brazilian. Yeah. You know, quick uh, handball. Yeah. Right, because it's not formally rolled. It's like a handball. Yes. It's made to order. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. And well, speaking of making it easy, so could you tell us the basic of sushi making? Maybe like how to make sushi rice, because our listeners may be interested in making some sushi at home. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, I think uh, when you th- when you think of uh, sushi, it's uh, you know it looks very simple, but I think simple can be also very complicated. So um, you know, starting with like amazing quality fish, that's number one. Number two, the has to have uh, you know has to be at the right temperature. Maybe some fish you may prefer to be a little bit warmer. Some of them may be a little bit colder. Uh, but um, and then the sushi, uh, ri- the the rice is also extremely important uh, to the experience of, of enjoying sushi because uh, well it's seasoned with uh, you know traditionally it's seasoned with uh, vinegar, salt, and sugar, 
and different chefs have different uh, little tricks up their sleeve. Some of them they like to um, maybe add a piece of kombu uh, seaweed to add a, make it a little bit more complex or um, I've, I've done it with like lemon, like to add a little citrusy smell. Mm. Um, but so, um, you know, just cooking just the right amount of the, the rice, just so it's just uh, like just a, a little bit more than al dente cooked. Mm -hmm. And then uh, while the rice is very hot, just off the steamer, you want to add this seasoning of uh, vinegar, seasoned vinegar. Mm, rice vinegar. Uh, rice. Well, it could be, uh, it could even be sweet potato vinegar. Mm. Actually, you could the uh, different types of vinegars that people use. Uh, m mostly, the rice vinegar. That's true. But uh, and then while the rice is very hot, then you add the the seasoning because uh, it will um, help. Um, absorb the the actually the seasoning so while it's still very hot so you add the vinegar and you stir very um, gently almost folding the rice into each other so you can mix the the the, uh, the seasoning without breaking the uh, the, um, the each grain the, each each grain of rice mm. and uh, and then what you want to do also is uh, kind of fend down and, and kind of stop the cooking because there is residual heat. So you want to you stop the, the, the cooking of the rice and, and bring the temperature down from when it was steaming to maybe about uh, 80 or 90 degrees, which is the ideal. And it's very important that the rice is served at that temperature to go with the sushi when the, the sushi is being prepared. So you want to be a, about body temperature, mm. you know, let's say 90 to 100 degrees. Okay, right. And uh, the other thing, you know, where should we get um, the sushi-grade fish in New York for consumers? Hmm. Well, I, I think um, that depends on what you're looking for, but there's, you know, a few Japanese stores, uh, uh, there is uh, Italy. I've seen they have gorgeous fish there. Cinderella is amazing. They have mm. uh, beautiful fish there. Um, okay, you know so it needs to be. You know, you need to have a sense of trust with your uh, with your uh, you know fishmonger. Mm. Um, you know. Uh, right. So the big uh, Japanese grocery stores, such like Sunrise Mart or Katagiri or those places, and uh, Italy. In the yes, they have amazing fish. Yeah. Also, you can go, um, you know, let's say you go to, into Cinderella, which is really like one of my favorite stores in New York to, to buy seafood. Mm. Like you could see they upper, have beautiful... Upper West Side. They have a couple, one on the east side, one mm -hmm. on the west side. And, um, you know, they, they do a lot of business uh, wholesale. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you can go... Um, what, what I actually like to do is, you know... Um, you know, the tuna is the tuna. It's always going to be like a big hunk of uh, tuna. So you need to ask them and, and trust the, 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 the store. But if, if you wanted to do, for example, if you wanted to do, uh, you know, lung, fish that has still some protection like the skin. So if you're going for, you can buy uh, like a fluke or red snapper that it's still like... Uh, has has its shield on. So if you if you wanted to make, you know, sashimi of uh, of a of a fish with the, with the shell on, you know, such as a shrimp, a maybe or or a white white fish, have them or Spanish mackerel, have them fillet for you, 
have them descale for you first, have them take the skin off for you, and and that skin actually will protect the fish from uh, you know bacteria exposure mm-hmm. and and moisture. So um, that's if you if you really wanted to do like uh, sashimi sushi at home, go, you know think of buying these uh, shielded fish with the skin on because that that adds great protection mm. to the fish. Ah, that's great to know. Great. All right. And uh, now let's talk about how to order sushi properly because uh, it's a little intimidating to sit at the sushi counter. Mm-hmm. So what's your suggestion for ordering sushi? Like any specific order based on type of fish, like light to white to red or light to heavier? Well, um, you know, if you if you're, if you, if you're not used to going to a sushi restaurant and having sushi, I think the best thing to, to do is to uh, be upfront with the sushi chef and, and say, uh, you know, I'd like to love to try your omakase. Um, perhaps, um, you know, we don't like, uh, we don't want anything too crazy, such as maybe the sea urchin or, you know, maybe the octopus is a little intimidating and... Uh, you know, just give us the milder things, or maybe if you maybe you want to eat kosher style, which is fine. Also, there's plenty behind the sushi bar that uh, mm-hmm. doesn't have to be shellfish, so um, it's very easy to accommodate. There's plenty of uh, choices behind the sushi right. bar that's not going to be, you know, fishy. Um, you know, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, things in the sushi case that are, you know, acquired tastes. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you graduate, but right. I think any. <laughs> Any sushi chef will be more than accommodating. All they want is to please the guest, and, and they'll work with you, right. and they'll work with you, and and try, and they'll bring up your uh, your uh, you know taste uh, spectrum to mm-hmm. to you know they'll graduate you to like more interesting fish. Okay. Like uh, they'll f- they'll they'll fill you out throughout the meal. Right, because uh, you know knowing uh, fish names that's very challenging. So you can just point out or just say. What kind of taste do you like? Something similar to yeah, like you know, uh, you know, we, we're excited to be here, but uh, you know, we we don't want anything too crazy. What what did you recommend? We don't want anything too fishy or oily. Mm. You know, we prefer uh, this type of uh, f- fish profile, mm. milder, cleaner. Right. So that's why. Uh, some people started to go to the same sushi place because they know your your taste. Well, eventually, you know, coming, you know, if you find a great restaurant that you that you are known and and they know your tastes, it's mm. it's uh, you know, it's it it changes the experience because you know they just sort of like take care of everything for you. They know what sake you like, or if you prefer, mm. you know, maybe you're a, a champagne drinker, which I, I love with sushi, or if you're a sake drinker, or a beer drinker, or whatever it is, I think if you have a relationship with any kind of restaurant, I think it's it's mm. awesome that they, they know your preferences. Right. Well, speaking about pairings, uh, do you have any suggestions? What kind of uh, fish you prefer? I mean, you recommend with sake or some certain kind of wine? Well, I, I don't think there is right or wrong. Um, I know that the, um, you know, some restaurants think that it's even trendy to to serve uh, red wine with uh, sushi. Uh, personally, my my preference is uh, probably either champagne or cold sake. That's mm. what I that's what I love. Mm. I think it's perfect. But I think champagne goes with everything, even mm. <laughs> even red meat. So I can just do champagne all the time. But 
Uh, or sometimes I like to start maybe thirst crunching. You know, maybe it's the summer, like a beautiful uh, glass of cold beer, and then to follow like some nice mm. sake, something like a little n not too fruity, but you know, a little bit more dry to to uh, to be, you know, the, uh, not overpower the the rice because mm. the rice has acidity from the vinegar and the the salt. Right. Um, you know, it's highly seasoned with, with the salt and, and a little sugar. Mm. So something not too too fruity. Uh, you know, uh, you can you can get a, uh, a um, like um, a, a daiginjo and and uh, but you know, discuss it with you know the, the most most of the great restaurants they have. I'm sure they have someone that will mm. uh, help you and guide you through yes. cho the choices. At 15 East, we have, we have an amazing Walter team. Dagon. He, he wow. came on the show, and uh, he's a sake samurai and a master sommelier. Correct. So. Yes, we, were, we have... Uh, and then he has his disciples that work under him, and they do an amazing job as well. Mm. But, um, you know, we don't... It's not really about... We don't write the rules. It's really what the guest preferences are, and we'll work with you to choose, like, an amazing mm. uh, sake. There, you know, there are some... Sakes that we have, you know, it's uh, by allocation. You get like maybe two bottles a month, mm. and you save those for maybe some of the regulars that they they love. And then, but there's there, there's plenty to to enjoy with sushi, and uh, you know we have uh, we have we're known for the tuna flight. It's uh, five different cuts of tuna. Could be the cheek, could be the tail, could be the belly, could be uh, chopped from different part of the tuna, and. Uh, you know, some of it is uh, served warm, actually. We just uh, lightly torch it, mm -hmm. and it's, like, almost melting warm. So, you know, a little red wine with that for the... Mm, why, why not? Right, like something lighter, like Pinot Noir or Dume, yeah, something. Yes. Right. Okay, and this is my final question. So, um, the conservation of fish stock, it's becoming a major issue globally. So, do you have any policy strategy? So, we, we work with... with um, local f fish suppliers as well as uh, importers and a lot of the fish that we bring in from outside they are they come from uh, small fishing boats that are like line caught they're not like huge mm. uh, nets of fish right. uh, being uh, you know just grabbed in, in, in huge uh, in numbers so right. um you know, tuna, bluefin tuna is definitely like a, a big, uh, you know, it's a scary, uh, you know, uh, breed of uh, fish that, um, you know, it's a problem. You know, we, we buy local from Boston and we buy North Carolina and Mexico mm. when available. And then also uh, sometimes uh, we buy from uh, uh, f farm from farms as well, mm. from Spain to the dude, like an amazing, very, right. very, very good job as well. Great. But, uh, you know, we there, there, there are a few that, you know, uh, they're on the uh, red list that we, we wouldn't touch. Mm. Okay, but a list uh, by uh, Seafood Watch by the Monterey yeah. the Aquarium. Okay, well, that's wonderful. So, um, well, thank you for joining us today, Marco. Oh, please. I'll Anytime. see you soon at the 15 East. Awesome. Can't wait. <laughs> um, so, uh, listeners, if you'd like to know more about 15 East and other Marcos restaurants, please visit 15hospitality.com. 
And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And by the way, we just launched a beautiful new website, so please visit our page. And Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher Podcast. And today's show was made possible by, Co- by Corin, and our engineer is Liz Smith. I will see you next week. Listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.